This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. You're listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. Meanwhile in Memphis is a program dedicated to conversations that celebrate the organizations, initiatives, and people that are shaping Memphis for the better. The Meanwhile in Memphis radio show and podcast are brought to you by New Memphis, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to develop, activate, and retain the city's most important resource, its people. Your hosts today are me, Rebecca Daly, and Anna Thompson. Before we dive into today's conversation, we have some quick dates for you to add to your calendar. September 5th is the last day to register for voting. So if you need to update your registration or you're a new voter here in Memphis, please be sure to register by September 5th. Coming up after that is Memphis 101. This is coming up on September 19th at the Brooks Museum of Art. If you are at all curious about why our city is the way it is, we will dive into 901 reasons to fall in love with Memphis by jumping out of the history books to uncover how the city came to be and how its history is shaping our future. And speaking of shaping our future, we have some future-focused guests today. Today, we're taking a closer look at the importance of transportation and mobility in Memphis. It might seem as simple as getting from point A to point B, but the reality is that transportation impacts every aspect of urban life, from getting to and from work to how we get groceries or get our kiddos to school. The costs associated with transportation, whether that's purchasing and upkeep of a vehicle or a bicycle or even riding the bus, impacts economic mobility as well. So as we celebrate the wins in our city, like the Downtown Mobility Center, we want to shine a light on the day-to-day logistics that make our city function. Central to that is transportation. Joining us today are Nikki Dildine and Jackson McNeil, both from Innovate Memphis. Jackson is the Transportation and Mobility Director for Commute Options at Innovate Memphis, and Nikki is the Commute Options Schools Program Manager for Innovate Memphis. We'll let them tell you a little bit more about themselves as we get right into our conversation. Please join us in welcoming Jackson and Nikki to the studio to discuss the current state of transportation and mobility here in Memphis. Welcome, Nikki and Jackson. We're so glad you're here this morning. How are y'all doing? Good. Doing well. Staying cool. So far, so trying good. To, yeah, trying to, Yeah, trying to. Um, So let's get started by having each of you uh, share your role and a little bit about yourselves. Yeah. um, So I'm Jackson McNeil. I am the Transportation and Mobility Director at Innovate Memphis. I have been at Innovate um, almost nine months now, and so still fairly new in some sense, um, but have worked in transportation of for a number of years it's what i'm passionate about it's what i nerd out about um and so i'm really really fortunate and and grateful to be able to um work in this space in memphis there's not a lot of opportunities for it and so i'm i've been super excited to be at innovate um i have been in and out of memphis since 2012 and so i've been back in this stint um, a couple years and have have really enjoyed it. So I'm really happy to be here. And I'm Nikki Dildine. I am very new to Innovate. I started at the end of June. Um, 
first job in transportation, but schools are not new to me. I was a school counselor for eight years at Southwind Elementary, had a another stint in finance, totally unrelated, um, <laughs> realized I missed working with the community, with the kids, and so here I am. Um, I've been in Memphis since 2007, from rural Indiana before that. So a chosen Memphian. Then. Yes. Yes, I love it. Okay. Yeah. Before we really dive in, can you give us a quick overview of what Innovate Memphis does and kind of what, Nikki, your role is within the organization and how that role came to be? Yeah, so um, Innovate Memphis uh, is a nonprofit that started actually within city government. And so uh, a number of years ago, 10 or 15 years ago, um, there was a... uh, philanthropic organization called Bloomberg Philanthropies. They funded um, what were called mayor's innovation delivery teams in five cities uh, initially. So Memphis was one of those first five cities. And Innovate Memphis really grew out of that program. Um, Like I said, started in the mayor's office, but now is its own independent nonprofit. And our mission is really to develop civic solutions. And so oftentimes our work is partnered with the city of Memphis. You know, we are Um, doing work based on some of their priorities. And then other times we have um, other priorities that come out of um, other nonprofits, other local organizations, things that we see a need for and feel like uh, we can develop a solution for that thing. And so the model is typically for us to kind of pilot a solution to a problem that's identified and then uh, find a program partner to kind of hand that thing off to once it's running and sustainable. And so we we don't typically run programs for as long as we've run commute options, but it's one of the kind of the few programs that's been um, one of the foundations for, for Innovate Memphis. So that brings us to you, Nikki. Yeah, so I am the court, uh, commute options schools program manager. So... Our role with that is to go into schools, be a liaison for them, to come up with different solutions to just drive alone trips, cars in the car rider line. We want to promote kids walking, biking, taking the bus, um, you know, and all the good things that come with that. Increased physical activity, increased health, decreased emissions and air pollution. So it's like a really holistic approach to not just getting from point A to point B. Absolutely love to hear it. I'm curious um, from either of you what you have found out in your experience, either Nikki being new to commute options or Jackson in your history in transportation, how transportation impacts cities, kind of how, what role does it play in economic mobility and what specifically Memphis is looking like in that? Yeah, maybe I'll speak to like a broader context and then Nikki can speak to her experience in schools. I, I always joke about Memphis, like we are amazing at moving packages and goods across the world in 24 hours, right? But we we really struggle with moving people around our city. It's it's a bit ironic in that sense. You know, we're kind of the logistics and transportation um, capital of the country. We're on the Mississippi River. We have all these railroads. We have FedEx. Um, but we struggle to get people to work at FedEx, right? And that's due to a number of of different factors. But um, one of the things that people often talk about is we're a a very geographically large city. Mm -hmm. We're about the same size as all of New York City. So 
all five boroughs, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, the Bronx, but we have less than a tenth of the population. So that makes providing and servicing transportation across that area a very, very difficult. I mean, obviously you can imagine the budget that we have for the city of Memphis is pales in comparison <laughs> to a city like New York. And so we have some unique challenges in that sense. Um, we are dependent on um, industries like transportation and logistics that often are based in big warehouses that need a bunch of land. And so those make it even harder to kind of get people to those places because those are often not where people live. Um, of course, there are people in neighborhoods close to the airport, but most people don't live close to the warehousing district and, you know, Nike and Fraser and President's Island on the river, right? These big kind of employment centers. Um, and so that's a, a big challenge and something that I think all Memphians are really concerned about, not just folks who struggle to get to those jobs, but we know that um, that impacts everyone in our city, right? Um, of course, we can talk about the environmental impacts of of transportation. Um, the transportation sector is the largest contributor to greenhouse gases in Memphis. And so um, that's largely because we depend on our cars and our trucks and our logistics and, you know, transportation hubs. So it's not all bad, but there are a lot of things that other cities are doing uh, to improve their transportation that we see and we know Memphis deserves and can accomplish. And so we have, you know, a vision for a Memphis where you don't have to own a car to get outside of your neighborhood. Um, we have a, you know, vision for a really equitable um, and accessible transportation system that allows residents and visitors alike to see all of the amazing parts of Memphis that we have to offer. Um, I, you touched on it a little bit, but I was curious about how urban sprawl um, kind of mm -hmm. creates or inhibits a viable transportation solution for Memphis. Because when you first said, you know, that Memphis is as large or larger than all of the boroughs of New York, I was thinking, well, we have fewer people, so wouldn't it be easier to move us around? And isn't it harder if there's more people and less square footage? Yeah, it's I, that's a good point, right? Like, Driving across Memphis is a completely different experience than driving across New York or L.A., right? Right. So in that sense, if you have a vehicle, if you have a car, that's going to be the most convenient way to get places most of the time, frankly. Like, yeah. That's just the reality. But the other reality that you have to take into account is that uh, a, a huge proportion, ten, tens of thousands of families in Memphis um, do not have a access to a personal vehicle. Um, if you think about, oftentimes we think about, you know, folks who can't afford a vehicle, but oftentimes there are people that can't drive because of their age. Either they're too young, you know, if you're under 16, you can't drive or shouldn't drive. <laughs> um, people who, um, uh, as they get older, maybe they lose their, their vision, they lose, some, lose kind of uh, their, their mobility. People with disabilities, um, not everyone with a disability uh, loses the ability to drive, but oftentimes they do. And so, you know, we want to make sure that uh, folks who can't have a car can can still get around. You know, we really think that um, that is a, a right that people have in Memphis. I, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've 
I've talked to people who have in Memphis who have really never left their neighborhood. Um, they haven't seen all of the amazing things that the Memphis has to offer. They can't access those opportunities, um, those amenities. And so y- you're right. Like if you have a car in Memphis, it's usually typically easy to, to get around, you right? You probably like our city more because you can probably see more of it. <laughs> exactly. Um, but if, if you don't, um, another thing is you may have a car, but there are many, many Memphians that are extremely burdened by the cost of owning a vehicle. So um, you see, I think it's very common for you to drive around to Memphis and see cars with you know, no bumpers and you know they look like they're half put together. I mean, that's a sign that we are not providing uh, viable options for people, that they're forced to drive. No one wants to drive a car that, that, that you know, is in bad condition, that is unsafe, right? But it's many, many times the only option that folks have. So, yeah. So in Memphis, it's a privilege and a necessity. Right. Yep. Is it fair to say that our city is kind of structured in a way that caters to vehicle owners? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then you've mentioned kind of all of the, I would say, maybe side effects, but I think I think they're like really direct impacts mm-hmm. of transportation. It's not only workforce related and environmental related, but it's also schools and students and that. Um, we've talked many times on this podcast about how our students are the future of our city and the pipelines that we, the opportunities that we afford them today will impact what our future of our city looks like. So I'm curious how the setup kind of now that we've given a little context to how our city's set up about how that impacts scholars getting to and from school and what that means for those who can't. Right. And to add to the economic piece, I don't think a lot of us think about. So if you drive your kid to school every day, something's wrong with your car. Like you can't take your kid to school that day. You probably have to stay home with them. You're missing a day of work. Um, and that ties back to the health piece, too. So when emissions are high around schools, air quality is bad. Lots of kids have asthma, allergies, respiratory-related conditions. All that greenhouse gas, you know, affects that. And again, if you don't have someone to stay home with your kid, you're staying home with them, missing a day of work. Um, so that's, that's another piece of it. Can you help us understand some of the barriers that scholars face in in the transportation realm kind of like what's available now and what should be (laughs) sure so if you live within a certain distance from the school you probably don't qualify to ride the school bus um so that was something different from where i grew up everybody had the option to ride the school bus being in a small farm community um here it's within a mile mile and a half um if you're in that radius you you don't get to ride the school bus um that brings up the issue of, okay, I'm close enough to potentially walk or bike. Is it safe enough to walk or bike? Are people speeding, flying through school zones, just not paying attention? Um, other safety issues, you know, rainy crime, days, yeah, crime, weather. whatever it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. All that, all that plays a piece. So if you're outside of that area, you probably can ride the bus. Um, Where's the bus stop? How do you get to the bus stop? How long are you waiting there? Things like that. Um, One of the things that we hope to do is to get some parent involvement and do like walking groups to school, walking school bus, things like that. So if we can get a couple parents on board with that and, you know, sort of keeping an eye on the kids in the neighborhood and helping move those groups to the places they need to go, that's a potential solution. 
increases the sense of community. It increases the sense of safety. Everyone kind of takes stake in that then. Do we have an understanding of what percentage of students rely on the bus or public transportation to get to school versus how many are reliant on personal transportation? Um, we don't have the official numbers on that. And as the school year starts, that's something we hope to be able to get um, a pulse on. But just in the conversations we've been having with schools, we find that car rider lines are really long and there's a lot more coming to school and going home that way than than we would like to see. Um, not many bikers at all. Some walk, um, especially the, the older upper grades. So you're seeing a lot more walkers with middle school and high school. Crossing guards are another issue there. So making sure that we have them. Um, some of the high schools, middle schools don't. Um, elementaries do. But do we have enough of them? Are they in the right spots? And I think that one you know interesting thing that I've learned through our work with schools is, uh, depending on where you grew up, um, walking and biking to your neighborhood school, I think, was a lot more common um, when I was a kid, for sure. And seeing the data on how that has significantly changed over time is is pretty astounding. I mean, of course, when you have the kind of stranger danger thing blow up, uh, you, you know, that definitely impacts it. But seeing the number of, of students, I think it's like almost half of all students uh, in, in middle school uh, in like the 60s and 70s walked or biked to school. And now it's far below that, maybe close to 10, 10%. And of course, it varies significantly by your neighborhood, by your school. We also, you know, have um, some charter school partners, and oftentimes they're serving kids that live all over the city. They're not, some some charter schools are kind of neighborhood-based and serve that, that area, but um, a school like a Grizzlies Prep that's downtown that serves they told us they serve students in every zip code in Memphis, right? And so that's an added kind of complication. They're also not served by district school buses. And so they're kind of in another situation where they're trying to figure out um, how to get their students to school. You know, the, the school district um, is it, it's becoming an increasing priority um, for the school district to just get kids to school and get them there on time. There's a, a huge chronic absenteeism issue with the school district that really, I mean, was exacerbated during COVID. And um, we have to have safe, equitable, um, cheap ways to get students to school to support them, to support their families. Um, because like you said, our, our youth, our scholars, are the future of our city and we can't even if we can't even get them to school where they're supposed to learn and be safe and socialize then we've uh got a a big problem yeah then yeah we've talked about a little bit before we got started about the foundation that transportation provides for the whole city and how everything else kind of layers on top of that but yep. without like you said equitable affordable mm -hmm. transportation options all of those other pieces kind of fall apart yeah, I mean, you you are confined to your home or, or your neighborhood. Sometimes you don't even feel safe walking around your neighborhood. Maybe there are no sidewalks. Maybe there's nothing really to walk to, right? And so um, there's an analogy that's often used thinking about like bus frequencies, but it's essentially like imagine if 
if you drive a car, imagine that, um, you know, you get in your car and there's just a big wall behind your car and you, you can't move it. But every hour and a half, that wall closes and that's the one time you have to leave your house. I mean, that's equivalent to um, many of our, our bus routes that are coming every hour and a half, right? So you have this very small window to, to leave your house to catch the bus um, and you're really kind of confined and restricted to your home in a lot of ways. Of course, there are many people who rely on others, family members, friends to, to get rides, to carpool. I mean, that's one thing that we uh, that we encourage and we want to see more of is, you know, carpooling builds a sense of community. It's more affordable. It's less cars on the road. Um, and so there's some great opportunities to kind of move that work forward. Um, there's all kinds of great solutions. Some of them involve cars and some of them don't. But um, like the name says, commute options, we really want to give folks as many options that, as they can to, to give them the freedom to choose whatever is, is most convenient and uh, best for them. And carpooling is one of those unique solutions that might serve our charter schools. So because they're coming from so many different places so spread out, if you can set up a organized school carpool, then you can have people picking up along the way and not everyone driving separately. We talked a little bit about what the current landscape looks like for transportation here in Memphis. But I'm curious what Commute Options and or Innovate Memphis has kind of up their sleeves as um, pipeline projects for the next maybe one to three to five years, whatever that kind of looks like. I don't know what y'all's trajectory is right now. Yeah, one one of our, our big priorities that we're trying to move forward currently is just increasing the uh, really the community advocacy that's happening around transportation. Um I like to say that transportation is typically something that people think is very important, right? Everyone, most people use some form of transportation during their day, every day, um, but oftentimes are not really thinking about it until something goes wrong, right? Same thing with public utilities. Um, and so when we have these conversations locally about economic development, about public safety, about education. Well, transportation is a key part of all all of those things that we're talking about as, as our priorities, whether that's a mayoral, you know, election, whether that's, you know, the Chamber of Commerce, whoever it is, right? We know that transportation plays such an outsized role in solving some of those issues. Um, one of the things that is is really a gap here is uh, what we believe is is a, a local advocacy group that can talk to our community members, that can talk to public officials, that can talk to business people, stakeholders to say, hey, these are our priorities. This is what's most important for us as a community, and this is what we want to try to move forward. Um, one major issue that we really haven't talked about yet is that we have a, a pedestrian safety crisis in Memphis. We are consistently in the top five cities for pedestrian deaths. Um, it's not a safe place to drive either, but it's definitely not a safe place to walk. And so when people don't feel safe to, to leave their homes and walk around their neighborhoods because of traffic violence, then 
we are not going to have a a vibrant, lively city if everyone is inside of their cars or inside of their homes or inside of their office buildings. If people aren't converging in public space, um, if people aren't seeing each other in their neighborhoods, then that has a, a, a really detrimental effect on just public life and the vitality of our city. Um, so we feel like an advocacy organization, some kind of advocacy work is really needed to push that forward, to move that needle. Um, because like I said, it's a, a priority for many people in Memphis, many organizations, many individuals, but um, we don't really have one kind of central place for that voice to kind of be heard, if that makes sense. What would be your hope for how, if someone listening has an interest in transportation or convening a group of individuals, what would be your best, you know? Yeah, it's a great question. And that's part of the reason I think this has become a priority for us because I've had so many people who have said, oh, this is something that I'm really interested in or passionate about. Like, how can I get involved? And there's currently just not a great kind of plug and play way for people to volunteer their time or, you know, get involved in advocacy. And so, you know, keep reaching out to folks like me and other Nikki and other kind of individuals that are involved in community transportation and let them know that you're interested because um, as these things start to develop, we know, oh, hey, I remember, you know, Miss Susie said she was, you know, concerned about that issue at that intersection. You know, let's get her and her neighbors to together to talk about solutions or hey, let's make sure that their city council person knows that this is a priority for them, um, that the city knows when they're applying for these big federal grants that this is uh, an issue that people are, are concerned about. So we really have to, to talk to each other, to communicate issues with each other, to tell each other what our priorities and our kind of wish lists are, because um, uh, otherwise things just end up kind of being like a a, a gripe session, right? <laughs> Like we, everyone in Memphis loves to complain about potholes or, you know, losing electricity. That's fine. It's all frustrating. But how are we moving towards solutions together as a community? And that's one of the interesting things I've learned since starting this job. I don't think I put much thought into how things get changed infrastructure wise with any issue in the city, but especially transportation. So we're figuring out, you know, who do we go to if we need, you know, a median put in a street so there's an island for people to cross or speed bumps or you know traffic crosswalks so that's that's been an interesting piece that I don't think most people think about like they see the problem but they don't know who do I start with who do I go to to start getting this problem addressed exactly we kind of peeled away a few of those layers last week with Ian Randolph of Shelby County Voter Alliance about like who and what entity or what office mm -hmm. is in charge of X Y or Z yep but um, and you've hit on it a little bit Jackson but I'm curious what role if any transportation plays in the upcoming municipal elections on October 5th yeah I would like for them to play a huge role I mean that's definitely something that uh, we're talking with our kind of um, partner organizations about is, how do we make sure that uh, mayoral and council candidates um, are aware that this is a priority for our community, that they're listening to the issues that the community has, and that they have a plan and the information that they need to execute You know the things that they say they will. So it's one thing to say you support increased public transit, but it's another thing to actually have a, a plan for how to support 
public transit, right? The devil's always in the details. Um, there's a lot of promises made on campaign trails, but once folks get into office and have the opportunity to make a real change, which they do, you know, and we want to make sure they know that, um, then we want to work with them. We want to support them in, um, you know, understanding what solutions exist and how to move those things forward. You know, I, I think oftentimes um, it's easiest to think about solving many of our transportation issues uh, by talking about enforcement, about Memphis Police Department. And MPD is always going to have an important place to, you know, role in that, in that conversation. But there are also other great solutions that enable our police officers and public safety community to be involved in higher priority issues. And so when we talk about, like Nikki said, how do we get this infrastructure changed? You know, that, that really increases what's called self-enforcing design, right? Like how do we make traffic move slower and be more attentive to their surroundings without having to have 30 crossing guards around a school, right? That's just not a, a, a good That's solution. Not a solution. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, thinking about ways to change our built environment to impact the behavior of um, mostly drivers because they have the most responsibility, you know, to keep others safe, but also, hey, how are we um, designing these crossings, these crosswalks to make sure that they're in convenient places, so that people actually use them so that people don't have to walk three quarters of a mile down the street just to cross right across the street from what they're looking at, right? So you really using design um, to influence uh, our transportation behaviors is, I think, a huge kind of um, opportunity for us to, to move towards as a city. Are there any examples of some local projects that have been successfully implemented? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the kind of longer standing projects that now just becomes has become normal is... Um, at, at Overton Square on Madison Avenue. Um, that's kind of traditionally called a road diet where you're making lanes more narrow, you're putting bike lanes, maybe there's a planted median. Those are solutions, design solutions that slow traffic, make that place safer for everyone, drivers included, um, because you're, if you're driving slower, you're less likely to be involved in a serious or fatal injury crash. And it also contributes to the reason we all love Overton Square, right? Like there are people outside, there are people sitting on patios of restaurants, there are families, there are children. Those are um, design choices that we can make and have made in, in, in instances like um, the Madison Ave streetscape redesign that have exponential impact on our physical health, on the beauty of our city, on economic development. I mean, all think about like Bobaloo at Overton Square. It's always packed. There, I always see people outside on the outdoor patio when I'm walking by, and I think everyone loves loves to see that. And we need that in all of our neighborhoods, right? Not just our kind of Overton Squares and downtowns, but every neighborhood deserves to have public space that is safe, that is accessible, that's equitable. And so we have some great, um, you know, examples to build from that have been successful, but um, at the time, we're, we're really controversial. I mean, th that project almost didn't happen because of um, a lot of pushback. But I don't think anyone today would say, oh, we should go back to the way it was, right? So 
change is hard, but when we see examples of it working well, um, we should champion those examples and make sure to call back to them and say, hey, remember when we did this and it worked really well? Well, that, that's what we're trying to do here, you know. Similarly with the um, rails to trails and things like that. I feel like at the it, time yes. it was a huge like undertaking of how can this work? What will happen? What will and now it now that it's done, it right. feels like how was it ever not here? Exactly. Who could imagine the Shelby Farm Greens line green line still being a train track, right? Like an underutilized train track. No one would want that. But at the time, um, that was a big change for a lot of folks in the neighborhoods, you know, surrounding it. Um and so, you know, change is hard for everyone, myself included, but um, we've got to be able to see those successful examples either here or in other places and, and, and try to replicate those. And in, in thinking about other success stories, could we talk a little bit about the Downtown Mobility Center and kind of how that is pushing change in an area that it hasn't existed before? Yeah. So the Downtown Mobility Center, um, if you haven't been, is what was previously just uh, and basically an empty parking lot, surface parking lot um, at Maine and, and Beale, um, right by the, the Orpheum, and is now uh, a, a, a mobility center that has places for cars to park. It has bike share, it has a, um, a trolley stop there, um, electric vehicle charging. And so it's really the, the purpose of the Downtown Mobility Center, and, and shout, out, shout out to Downtown Memphis Commission and um, Paul Paul Young and Lauren Bermudez for for leading that project. Brett Roller, all those great folks. But you know, it's the idea for that is really, hey, how do we get people? We know people are always going to be driving downtown. How do we get them to drive downtown, park once, and be able to get everywhere they need to go in downtown without having to get back in their car and find another parking spot, right? So it's really about um, those kind of mode shifts that can happen. There's great opportunities for that downtown. I mean, you've got bike share, scooters, you've got those little golf carts that'll pick you up right on on Main Street. There's so many ways to get around uh, downtown that don't involve having to pay for parking, uh, you know, twice over. That's great. And and thinking through innovative solutions like that, um, Nikki, I'd like to go back to something you mentioned. You, I heard you talk about walking school buses and bike trains. Can you share a little bit more about what those are and what those could do for a, a school community? Sure. So typically they're an event, um, but it could turn into a, a routine thing if enough people enjoy it and are interested in it. But Coordinated School Health is a group we've been working with a lot at the district, and they really are there to promote healthy healthy school environments, healthy choices, um, just overall wellness. So walking school bus is one of their big things they're trying to do this fall that we are working with them on. And so you pick a day, you advertise it to the the kids, the parents, and you try to get people who normally would get to school other ways, you know, getting together and walking or biking in a group. So safety in numbers. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's basically what a walking school bus is. There's a national walk and bike day twice a year. So there's one in the fall in October coming up and there's one in May. So those are, you know, great resources too. If you go to the website, they have toolkits put together for schools to help promote those events and tips on how to set it up and run a successful event. 
And you mentioned um, coordinated school health as a partner of y'all's that y'all are working with. I'm curious how, what relationships y'all have with um, other partners in Memphis that are making transportation and mobility more solvable, I guess, and viable. Yeah. So when commute options started in 2016-ish, um, the program was really focused on working with employers, large employers, small employers too, but primarily large employers across town to um, ensure that their employees had different options to get to work. There are still organizations in Memphis that are f- that that do that work, like the Memphis Medical District Collaborative and the Downtown Memphis Commission, um, that are focused on you know helping their uh, employers. Um, get transportation uh, solutions to their employers' problems and and issues that they have getting to work. Um, Our commute options program has shifted from being focused on employers to shifting to to prioritizing schools. And so those organizations are still our partners and we work with them um, in different ways. Um, But in terms of, you know, working with schools, we just had a, a really, really great conversation with Clean Memphis, which is a local organization um, that promotes sustainability and environmental issues. And they have amazing programs that we learned about um, in, in schools that, you know, we're learning from the things that they've learned over the years um, and learning about opportunities to engage with the schools of course, there are countless organizations that support schools in their work. Um, our work, I guess, is a little bit niche. And so finding organizations like um, Clean Memphis that uh, we really kind of have some shared goals with has been a huge win and a huge encouragement for us kind of in the past you know, year as we've really been diving into working with uh, local schools. And La Bonner has a Safe Kids program, too. We had a really great meeting with them, and we have some shared goals and interests there. So that's another partner that we'll be working with this year. Glad to hear it. Um, we're curious how you've kind of danced around it in some ways, but what, where does Memphis and or Shelby County stand comparatively to similar size cities or other Tennessee cities in terms of transportation solutions? Yeah, I it. One caveat that I always like to add is it it depends so much on the region that those cities are in, when those cities were built. So there are a lot of cities um, that either have similar populations, primarily similar similar populations. There aren't very many cities that are as sprawling as Memphis and like the Northeast and older parts of our country. Um, But it's really about kind of the bones of our city and how we have or haven't sprawled out i mean shelby county i think is 700 square miles and memphis is 300 square miles i mean those are huge huge cities and counties that were the city and county that we're in um you know i think about nashville right as kind of our tennessee neighbor and some of the transportation challenges or the context that they have of course we know that nashville has grown exponentially in the last 10 15 years and and with that has come a lot of headaches and issues with transportation, right? If you live outside of Nashville and try to drive into the city during, you know, rush hour, that's not a fun thing to do, right? If I don't I've never done that, but I have. I, it's not fun. Exactly. Like <laughs> I have I, family in East Tennessee and if you don't time it just right, yep. 
you're there for exactly. a lot longer than you need to be. You're stuck. So <laughs> it, in Memphis, we are we're kind of on the opposite end of that spectrum. Like there are going to be very few circumstances unless there's a crash or some kind of incident where we hit like standstill traffic in or around Memphis. Um, and so I think that there is a, a kind of a happy medium between those two. Of course, it's convenient. It's great to drive wherever you need without stopping. That's a good thing. But oftentimes that comes at the sacrifice of our environment, as we talked about, our greenhouse gases. Oftentimes, the kind of more free-flowing and quicker people are driving, the more dangerous it is for anyone who's not in a car. And so there's a reason that places like New York are really safe to walk because people are in standstill traffic, right? Like, we don't want people to be in standstill traffic, but, um, you know, we think about issues that kind of our peer cities are facing, whether that be um, congestion, whether that be just kind of issues that we're facing in terms of sprawl and, and lack of ability to, you know, provide good public transit. Um, but I, I think public transit has to be one of the, the key solutions um, to both of those issues, whether you have a big sprawling city with, with low density um, or you have a very congest- congested city and it's hard to drive anywhere. There are really, really great transit solutions to, to both of those problems and many other problems. And I think that's another one of those things where people, I think everyone in Memphis can agree that um, our public transit system can be improved and that it can serve Memphians better. And we really believe at Innovate that that starts with increasing the, the funding for, for our public transportation system, putting our money where our mouth is and not just saying that it needs to be improved, but making sure that we can implement those solutions um, with, with appropriate funding. So that's one of the kind of big things that we're working uh, on right now to talk about with um, mayoral and council candidates. You know, we hear you saying that transit is a priority. Let's talk about how to implement those things um, once you're in office and really supporting them in that way. Can you help us understand kind of the funding breakdown for public transportation? Is that local dollars, state dollars, federal dollars? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a great question and, and a really important kind of like um, detail that I think deserves attention. So um, uh, all transportation agencies, bus public transportation agencies around the country get federal and state dollars. Um, those dollars are primarily restricted for capital projects, so building things or buying buses. Um, They're typically not for paying bus drivers and running buses. So you could buy all the buses you want, but if you can't pay your bus drivers or can't hire enough bus drivers, then you just have a bunch of buses sitting in, in a parking lot or in a facility. And so the really important piece of of local funding for most transportation um, agencies is local dollars. So that is where the the vast majority of what we call operation dollars, um, where those come in. And our city does, and county now, does provide some operation dollars for MATA to provide public transit. Um, and in 2022, decided to um, provide more dollars through um, a, a dedicated funding source, which was a huge win for public transit. You know, the first time that's ever happened, took a long time for us to get there. Um, 
but we still need more service. Uh, we still need a kind of more secure and stable funding source for public transit through local dollars. So there are a number of ways in which, um, uh, you know, a, a future mayor or, or city council or county commission or county mayor want to may want to pursue that. But um, there's some some great opportunities. Uh, of course, this also touches on the conversation that many people are having around Blue Oval City, regional transportation. How do we think about moving people not just within Memphis or just kind of, you know, around Memphis, but we are in a, a tri-state region, right? We're really close to Arkansas and Mississippi. And so what would it look like to um, provide transportation for people who live in Memphis for all the jobs that are just across the state line in Mississippi? Or what does it look like for, you know, someone in West Memphis or Marion, Arkansas to be able to access jobs in Memphis and all the amenities that Memphis has to offer? So that's an important piece of the conversation, too, that um, that we're involved with and want to see see move forward. I'm curious what, for each of you, um, the desired outcome is in Memphis in kind of a perfect landscape. What would the transportation look like for commute options for schools? What would it look like just for our city in general, if you have a picture of what that could be? That's tough. I'm going to let Nikki take that one because sure. I've got to think more. Okay. So for schools, just the car rider line being the the minority of how people are getting to and from school. As a counselor, I worked the car rider line every day for eight years, and it's horrible. <laughs> like You're out there, especially at the beginning of the school year, you know, sometimes for an hour after school trying to get everyone loaded up and home and cars are sitting there and idling and you know, aside from just being uncomfortable and hot, that's just horrible for our environment. So if we can instill these values of walking, biking, you know, not hurting our environment just to get to and from school, if we can instill those values in children now, they're going to grow up with that and they're going to hopefully make those other choices into adulthood. Um, so that's a big thing for me. I just I want to see more people out walking and biking. I want to be able to ride my bike personally, just, you know, wherever I need to go in Memphis. I live in Midtown. I want to be able to bike downtown and have bike lanes and feel safe doing that and not, you know, have to take a route that's three times longer than it needs to be just to avoid certain areas. For sure. I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to kind of piggyback off Nikki's answer because I think it's a great answer. But, you know, really... Uh, just talking about what our the name of our program represents commute options you know we don't necessarily think that everyone should take the bus or everyone should ride the bike we also don't think that everyone should have to have a car to get wherever they need people really should have the the freedom to choose um from a, a variety of different options to get around and for different kinds of trips and so like Nikki said, maybe for going downtown, she takes her bike. Maybe for going to work, she takes the bus. Maybe for dropping her um, five dogs off at the, you know, <laughs> the park or whatever, she takes her car. Um, and so having those options and that freedom, because um, that's what transportation is about. It's about having the freedom to access things, to um, have mobility, to get around. And like I said, see all the great things that Memphis has to offer. Um we really, you know, 
um, should provide that service to to all Memphians. It's it shouldn't depend on where you live or what your job is or what kind of income you have or um, what your abilities are. You know, all Memphians should truly have the ability to um, get around Memphis in a way that is safe, convenient, um, environmentally friendly, um, and affordable for them. And to piggyback off what Jackson said, I don't even think about taking the bus now most times because it's not practical. It's not quick and easy. So I very much dislike driving. (laughs) And if I could hop on a bus to go to the grocery store, that would be fabulous. So just really beefing up that public transit option so it is available to everybody and convenient and easy to use would be just wonderful. So using the same term, I'm going to piggyback off of your answers. <laughs> Lots of piggybacking. Yes. Um, do you have a city off the top of your head that has enviable public transportation models? And why are those the most enviable? If you have one that you're just like, man, this is the dream. Yeah. I mean, as a as a previous New Yorker, I mean, it's always the gold standard. <laughs> like me being able to walk out of my door and either get on my bike or walk five minutes to the subway or get on the bus right on my street or hop on a scooter, walk to, you know, 10 different grocery stores. That's the, that's kind of the gold standard, but that's of course the outlier in our country. Um, In terms of kind of peer cities, I think about cities like um, Indianapolis that are really investing in what's called bus rapid transit, which we will have here soon in Memphis um, on our innovation corridor. So going from downtown to the University of Memphis and back. And that's essentially kind of like a mix between a traditional fixed bus route and a light rail system where um, it is more convenient, it's quicker, right? And so there are some great solutions that are kind of um, meant for cities like Memphis and not New York. Um, that are being implemented. I think about some of the great work that's happening in cities like Minneapolis in in kind of their transportation advocacy space and really amplifying the voices of of folks who who don't drive, who can't own um, or afford a vehicle. Um, There are just countless kind of um, examples of cities that have implemented great solutions to transportation. And and Memphis is one of those cities. I mean, I think there are a lot of cities that look to Memphis to see great examples of what we call tactical urbanism. Um, so if you think about uh, the, uh, the bike lane on Broad Avenue that now connects to Overton Park and the Hamp Line and the Green Line, like that's an example of a project that, uh, you know, a local group of folks just said, Hey, this is something that we want to see done. Do see done, and then they uh, they did it, you know. <laughs> um, and so it's now you know a, a permanent bike lane that the city's invested money in. And so Memphis was really at the forefront of of a lot of that work that's happened in that space. And so you know we looked at solutions and models in other cities, but we also kind of look back to what's worked well here and and see kind of what we can build on and, and continue to replicate. Yeah, it sounds like there's not a cookie cutter solution for every single community, which Rats. should be a given. Yeah, I know. I know. The silver bullet. We're still searching for it. Let me know when you find it. But, but Jackson, could we step just a little bit back to you mentioned a route between University of Memphis and downtown. Can yeah. you talk to us a little bit about 
that? Expand on it for us? Yeah. So um, this is a, a project that, that MATA has been working on. Um, I think it started in maybe around 2014 and was originally called, I think, the Midtown Connector Project or, or something or other. And um, But was this kind of um, example of, of bus rapid transit. So um, the, the idea is essentially that you have uh, kind of stops with bus stops with more amenities um, you have kind of improved bus shelters. You're typically able to, you know, buy the ticket or your fare for your bus at that bus shelter, and then you can just walk right on the bus. So that makes things a lot quicker. Everyone can just get on the bus and they can drive off. Not everyone has to wait in line to pay and and all that good stuff. And because it's stopping less often, you know, it's not stopping at every block. Maybe it's stopping every quarter of a mile or half a mile. Um, it's moving faster on that route and so hence why it's called rapid transit but you're still utilizing you know the existing roadway you don't have to spend hundreds of million dollars to build rail um maybe one day light rail is a viable option in memphis maybe we you know increase our population and we have enough density but but right now it is just increasingly more and more expensive to do those kinds of infrastructure projects so Bus rapid transit is a great way to utilize the existing infrastructure that we have in Memphis. Um, and really, uh, the the long-term vision, which the, the city of Memphis and the Office of Comprehensive Planning have been involved in, is really making sure that development happens around that corridor so that more and more people are living close to bus rapid transit, to viable public transit options. And so... You think about someone moving here, maybe a, a young person who says, I want to live in a big city and have big city amenities. And they envision a place where they can walk out of their door and hop on the bus and go downtown or go to the University of Memphis and not have to worry about paying a car note and where to park it. And, oh, it's dangerous to drive because someone's going to crash into me. Right. And so um, it's a really kind of intentional way to think about how our city can um, develop in the future based uh, around a viable public transit option. It's exciting. Yeah. It is exciting. Yep. This is probably a silly question, but light rail, is that what is a light rail? I'm picturing like okay. Disney World and like a monorail or like a subway system. And I'm, I feel like I'm not getting it right on either yeah, so iteration. It's, it's different than a subway. So it's not underground, um, but it's also, it's kind of picture in between like our trolley now that's on a rail and in a subway it's it's not heavy rail what they call in the transit world like a subway but it's different than like a, a trolley system and so it'd be like if there was kind of an upgraded trolley all along union avenue or poplar avenue or something like that or a lot of people talk about downtown to the airport like that's that that would be amazing i would love if someone would pay for that to happen but um, it's, uh, usually only cost effective if you have a certain amount of density and people who will actually ride that light rail. This is kind of going down a rabbit hole, but when we talk about like our wish list, they have to be things that are, that can compete with driving a personal vehicle for most people. Like no matter how much the bus improves, unless it can compete with a bus, I mean, a personal vehicle, and in terms of, you know, reliability and efficiency, um, a lot of people aren't going to choose it. A lot of people 
um, you know, like we've talked about, can't afford a car, and so a bus is going to be a competitive option, right? Um, but I have a two-year-old son, and I need a transportation option that I can use with my family, with my two-year-old son, right? So I love to to bike around town. I love to bike to work, um, but I don't. There's not a lot of places in Memphis I feel safe with my two-year-old son on the back of my bike because of the lack of infrastructure. Um, I don't feel super great about waiting outside in the hundred degree heat at a bus stop with my two-year-old son, right? And so they have to be um, options that are viable for uh, multiple types of people in Memphis, like working class folks who just need to get to their job and back, families who want to get around, you know, the the young single person who moves here and wants the kind of, you know, city feel, um, you know, like we've talked about, no silver bullet, but there's so many different options that we want to see provided and improved in Memphis. Uh, one last question, sorry. What role does innovation and entrepreneurship and things like uh, Med Hall play in the transportation space? Yeah, I... There is so much opportunity for innovation in the transportation space. I, you know, and it's currently happening. I mean, you think about things like autonomous vehicles and just regular technology that's, um, you know, improved in vehicles. My car is kind of old, but it stops for automatically, you know, has an emergency braking system that stops automatically. That's amazing. Like, that's an amazing innovation in technology. Um, and so, yeah, seeing local companies like MedHall um, that are kind of taking steps forward in that space to improve um, different aspects of transportation is is super important. You know, I think that's really going to, we're going to see that really open up as uh, Blue Oval City comes online and as suppliers start to locate here. And um, there are a lot of people that are thinking really intentionally about how do we grow that sector and how do we make sure that people who live in Memphis now can benefit from that and can be involved in that sector. So that's not just companies in California and, and Detroit and New York that are coming in and taking advantage of Louisville City, but that there are opportunities now to start to grow those businesses and those ideas um, and so there's some great work that's happening with the folks at, at Startco in the, in the Memphis chamber, um, that are thinking really intentional, intentionally about that. And, um, would love to see just that kind of industry really expand and, and grow in Memphis. Keep the momentum going. Yep. That's it. Awesome. Well, before we wrap up, I would love to understand what projects each of you are most excited about that are coming up in the next year. Um, well, for schools, I'm just really excited to get in and really, you know, roll up my sleeves and get into the schools and start working with the, the kids and the parents and the teachers, administrators there. So, you know, beginning of school year is a little tough. Everything's really busy, um, but we're starting to make those connections slowly. Um, we've um, found a great contact in Treadwell Middle School. So they have um, a community partnership, a, a person there that works in the school that's very passionate about providing services to their community. So that's definitely a big help. And I, I really see a lot of potential there in what, what we have the capacity to do in their community. I, I'm really excited about 
the potential um, for just the increased advocacy that we talked about, um, whether that looks like a brand new organization, whether that looks like a new kind of initiative of Commute Options or Innovate Memphis or something completely different. You know, there are a lot of uh, folks and partners that we've been working with to move that forward. And um, we really kind of are, are excited about the possibility of, of, you know, working with the new mayoral administration and the new uh, city council and, you know, the current county mayor and county commission on making sure that people understand the impact of transportation in our city and that our city leaders um, are aware and supported um, to, to make decisions that can improve that transportation. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. Thanks. Independent Bank is celebrating 25 years of sharing your stories, building your dreams, and serving you heroically. Find out how iBank can help you achieve your financial dreams at i-bankonline.com. Member FDIC.